This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 8, Episode 26. I'm John DiCarlo. Kyle Gauss is off this week, but the good news is that Javon Edmonds and Caden Steele are not off this week what's up gentlemen how are you we're doing good uh you know who needs Kyle when you got us to you know exactly and uh Javon got the burger fire today which I know he loves burger fire I find burger fire would be one of the most disgusting places to eat at the student center but you know I can't hate on Javon and Caden has just assured us of never getting a sponsorship from burger fire so thank oh. you so much Caden yeah thanks a lot you know I, I screwed up I, I don't and listen Burgerfied, the preferred burger chain of Temple's own EJ Warner. Yeah, I've uh, I've never had any issues with Burgerfied. I did not get Burgerfied today. It's got not the best for your health, but hey. No, I got a salad from uh, Richie's Cafe, which was delightful. But uh have no issues with Burgerfied. Caden apparently does, but that's something that Caden's just going to have to do some soul searching about. Uh, yeah, EJ was got... right behind me ordered three double cheeseburgers. Wow. Yeah. Um I don't want to think of what would happen to me if I had three double cheeseburgers in one sitting, but (laughs) nonetheless, uh, got a lot to get to today. Of course, a big, big Temple basketball game coming up Sunday against number three, Houston. We understand the game's selling pretty well, so if you don't have tickets yet, I would uh, get on that. Uh, I mean, we've got some football to go over with you. Uh, Had a chance to also talk to Temple assistant coach Chris Clark this week. Uh, A lot of good stuff from Chris. We'll play that entire interview for you guys. Uh, again, basketball and football mailbag questions to get to. So plenty to get to on this episode. We'll run through some famous number uh, 26s really quick. What do you have, guys? Ooh. Clinton Portis. Ah, you go Clinton Washington. Portis before you go Chase Otley? See, I'm more of a football guy. Than I, like, I like all the other three Philly teams, but just football players come to mind first. Sure, yeah. Rod Woodson. Yeah. Raven Super Bowl winner, of course. Mm-hmm. Matt and Kyrie Elam. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we had we had nothing else in the world of famous number 26s. Uh let's talk about this Temple basketball team. Obviously, they're they're 14 and 9 overall now, 8 and 2 in the American in second place in the uh league standings. And uh, of course, number three Houston's coming to the Leah Core Center. As I said, the game from what we hear, I think the the lower bowl was pretty much sold out at this point. So um, God forbid me, but we'll have a good crowd at the game Sunday. Uh, again, if you guys are loyal listeners of this podcast, or you know half of what's going on with Temple Sports right now. You know by now the Temple beat Houston on the road almost two weeks ago by a point when they were number one. They did it without Jameel Reynolds, and now Jameel Reynolds is going to be back for Sunday. He's healthy. He's back now. Temple is 115th in the net rankings, 104th in the Ken Palm ratings. Again, that's a more of a predictive metric. Houston's 20 and two now. They're still number one in the net. Um, so if Temple wins Sunday, they would go to four and zero in quad one games. And for what it's worth, uh, more of a respect thing than anything else, Andy Katz has Temple at 32nd in his Power 36 rankings. So uh, we're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. So Houston plays at Wichita State later tonight before coming to Philly. And uh, you know we know the deal about this team. They're they're good. Marcus Sasser's a leading scorer, a very good guard. 
Temple held him to 12 points in the win at Houston. And then Cincinnati actually held him to nine uh, in that game last weekend where, where Houston squeaked that out at home. So, you know, keeping uh, keeping an eye on him, trying to clamp down on him on defense, trying to shut him down will still probably be a big priority for Temple. They always seem up for the challenge in terms of trying to, you know, of course, shut down the opposing team's best guard. But you got Jarris Walker to worry about. Again, they did a pretty good job of keeping him uh, to pedestrian numbers and scoring in the last game, but he did get 12 boards against them. Jawan Roberts is their leading rebounder. You got Tremont Mark. Uh, of course, his shot was the one that just bounced off the rim at the buzzer. And then Jamal Shad. So they're really balanced. They're really tough. What do we think about Sunday's game, guys? It does, uh, I mean, I think it's fair to say the Temple could beat them again. Um, I think that they could. I'd be surprised if the game's not close. I'm kind of, as Kyle likes to say, I'm actually trending positive for, for Temple right now. I think maybe conventional wisdom would, would suggest that, okay, Houston's going to be really ticked off. They're going to come to North Philly and win this game. What, what are you guys feeling right now as of Thursday afternoon? I'm feeling Temple does it again. They did it by playing awful basketball. And Jamil Reynolds was not on the floor. I don't see them repeating a performance like that. And when you got the big fellow down there, life gets easier. I think Temple pulls off a sweep. Wow. See, I can't fully get there, like Javon said, but you is know, it because you haven't eaten burger five? Javon might just be energized by burger five right now. No, this is this is I've been saying this for a few days now. I feel mm-hmm. like these guys are really gonna pull it off. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you don't think, you know, they're going to play as sloppy as they did last time. And, you know, at one point, was it seven minutes they didn't score? Yes. Last seven minutes and change, which was, you know, again, if you watch that game, remember, like that was more of a deliberate slowdown. Didn't exactly look. They won the game, as Aaron McKee said, after the game down in Houston, you know, didn't go the way they wanted it to. And he said, I think his line was, you know, Damian Dunn was kind of leaking oil at that point and kind of running on fumes. And it almost backfired on them. but they did did win the game, but wasn't the best strategy in retrospect with hindsight being 2020. Yeah. And I guess, you know, playing kind of devil's advocate, then I don't think Houston is going to miss as many free throws as they did last time against Temple. Right. And I don't think they're going to play as sloppy. I, that definitely wasn't their best brand of basketball. And I think if it comes down to it, like you mentioned, John, maybe just maybe if we don't buy into conventional wisdom that Houston isn't going to lose, you know, as the top five team in the nation, lose to Temple twice in the same year. I, I just, I think it's a close game. I just can't see Temple doing it twice. I, I think Houston bounces back. I think they're too good of a team to, you know, the, these, I think in a sense, maybe this game has more in the line for Houston. Like Temple right now, even if you win this game, I don't think it means you're getting in the tournament, but if you're Houston and you have two losses in the last two weeks against a team that's not ranked, it's going to keep knocking down the rankings. I think they have a little more to play for, and I think they'll find a way. Well, Houston is a lock for the tournament, so they don't really have much to put. But you're going to lose a little bit of seating. You're going to knock down. They, they're playing for number one in the conference and to stay on the one line in March. A loss Sunday. Knocks you down at five. They, no. Oh, uh, they'll go. They'll no. They'll be no lower than a three line in March anyway. So you know, rankings doesn't not, matter, Caden. It's more just like yeah, you're talking about seeding and stuff like that. But. Yeah, like that top twenty five means nothing to the committee. Just like in football, the AP's top twenty five means nothing to the committee. So that that's not even a motivating factor. Houston's only motivating factor is the one not get swept. All right, well not only only motivating factors are the one not get swept and the number two hold on to the top seed in the conference. And I think with Temple, who would need that top seed a lot more than Houston, um, will be playing for a lot more in front of a 
a crowd that I'm sure they know they cannot let down anymore. Um, so I don't know. I feel like the Owls just have more to play for, and they have arguably their best player back on the floor. I, I can see it happen. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Now, maybe there's a superstitious fan out there who says, no, 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 I want Temple to lose this game because it's hard to beat a team three times in a row. And if they have to match up with Houston in the conference no. championship, nope. then the nope. Cougars would have to get it. So, nope. No. Um, I agree with you, Javon. Let me ask you just from uh, – I mean, beyond the obvious stuff, obviously helps to have to have Jamil Reynolds back. They were fortunate enough to beat Houston again a couple of weeks ago without him. And we know how well Nick Jordan played. We know how well defensively the core John Cooch played. Uh, also, a little shout out to, to Caden, who did a terrific, terrific story on core in the Philadelphia Inquirer. If you have not read it yet, you should. Very, very good story. A uh, little tip of the cap to Caden there. But with Jamil back, beyond the obvious stuff, again, like down the stretch uh, at UCF, they found him for a couple of just like, I mean, it looked like basically like screen and roll stuff. It looked like... Yes, he's been able to practice. They've been able to bring him up to speed. I'm sure his conditioning isn't where it needs to be just yet. But you can tell that they're really starting to kind of like find the rhythm with him. And we'll get into this in a little bit. You'll hear Chris Clark talk about this in our in uh, the interview that we did with him. It, it looks like they kind of blended it in seamlessly and they're starting to feel more comfortable as a team. Beyond the obvious, Javon, what changes with him back offensively, defensively? What, what do you see them trying to do with Jamil Reynolds against Houston. Cause again, I mean, you know, Sasser's good, but that front court is, is really good too with Walker and Roberts. And again, like their guards are long and lengthy, but what does Jamil give them on Sunday that they didn't have before? We know he can score. We know about the touch, but even just in terms of their offense, what, how much does it help them? Yeah, a paint presence, a, a go-to bucket, a, a gravitational pull, so to speak. So at some point you got to make up your mind. Are you going to just keep letting your guy get cooked one-on-one or are you going to send a double team? If you're going to send a double team, who are you leaving? Um, mm-hmm. And Jamil has been pretty good at making pass, passes out of the post this season. So it just opens up the offense in many different avenues. What happens is then McKee decides who to leave out there. And I think in a situation like that, it's got to be Hicks, White, Dunn, and Miller. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's up to those guys to hit their shots. Dunn has become a much better catch-and-shoot guy this season. Um, battle seems to be back to his normal ways. Mm-hmm. It's up to Hicks to live up to his, you know, his his label as a sharpshooter. Um, to be quite frank, he hasn't done it so far this season, um, mm-hmm. not consistently at least. And then Hasir Miller, it's he's got a habit of – falling back into his old ways with his jumper, bringing, starting his jumper at his hip instead of starting it at his chest. Uh, when he remembers to do the small things with his shot, it starts to fall. So it, it really comes down to those two, uh, mm-hmm. how successful Temple is on the floor with, uh, with Jamel. Mm-hmm. So let's play this uh, this interview with Chris Clark. Again, I had the chance to talk to Chris. We're recording this on Thursday. I talked to Chris a, a couple of days ago uh, when he was out on the road recruiting so i didn't get the chance to sit down face to face with them but talked over the phone a lot of good stuff here and just some insight into how the team has been playing recently uh what they're expecting on sunday uh, again with houston coming into town so we'll play this interview for you right now you know that maryland eastern shore loss before christmas i I would imagine you know it had to be kind of a, a low point in the in the season and then since then you guys have won i think eight of your last 10 games 
What's changed since then for you guys? Because you're obviously playing some of your best basketball the season, you know, four in a row now heading into Sunday's big game. What what changed after that for you guys? You know what, John? I, I think our guys, um, their, their ability to adjust, right? Because, you know, we we added some new guys during the offseason, um, obviously getting Caliph back as well. I think our guys had to adjust um, to their new roles, um, obviously adding uh, Core, adding Jamil, who are, you know, who those two guys are a big part of what we do. I just think it, it took time for us just to gel. Now, no excuses for why we lost those games, um, but I think now our guys are, they have a better understanding of how to play with one another. They know each other's strengths and weaknesses. They're learning how to cover for one another, take care of one another. So I, I think it, it just took us, you know, a little more time than, than I think we we wanted, you know, wanted. Um, I'm sure the fans felt the same way at that time. Um, but now I think we're starting to hit our stride. Uh, like I said, guys are starting to play uh, together, understanding who they are, understanding how to win as well. That's a big part of it. And we still got some learning to do in and growing to do in that area. But I think, you know, we're starting to gel, you know, at the right time, and hopefully we can continue to keep it going. And then even, you know, after the Memphis loss, I mean, Nick, you know, couldn't have guarded the, you know, the reigning conference player of the year any better there. And he just hits a baseline jumper, beat you guys at the buzzer. In a season that's had so many ups and downs, that could have gone the other way too. That could have sent you guys into a tailspin. But instead, you know, you 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 pull away from ECU, and then of course you go on the road and you, and you beat Houston. What was there something after the the Memphis game where you guys felt like okay, this was a loss. We, we need every single one of these games. But did you even feel like in a loss, like you guys were getting a little closer? Yeah, we felt like we were getting better, and I think our practices, um, you know, was getting better. Um, uh, you know, competitive. We had more, you know, focus. And there there, there was just a, a feeling about our guys every single day um, that, you know, we were preparing to win each game. You know what I mean? There, there was a focus there. There was a, you know, sense of pride. Like, we let one go against Memphis. We should have won that game. And, it, you know, com- we can compete with anybody in our league. And, you know, I, I think our guys, you know, started to buy into that and believe that. And, you know, here we are. And, you know, we got a chance to, uh, you know, play for first place on Sunday. Now, I don't know how how long Jamil will be coming off the bench. But for now, you have arguably your, your top three players coming off the bench and I mean you look around the country you know not like I've looked at every single team but I can imagine we could count on one hand if 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 not that maybe a couple of fingers of how many coaches and how many staffs in America are doing that but it's working for you guys can you just talk to me about like I know that you started the season bringing Caleb Battle off the bench and then Damian was starting and then you reacclimated Damon to the lineup after his concussion but he's continued to come off the bench and now Jamil and you know heading into that Houston game people are thinking like wow they're going up against the number one team in the country how long are you guys going to wait before you bring in your top two scorers off the bench but you did it at, at seemingly the right time and you're still doing it it's still working and can you just talk to our listeners about you know the reasoning behind that and how it's worked for you guys well I mean we we needed some scoring off the bench and, and the one thing I will say is those 
three guys really have embraced you know that part of it um and they're playing and starters think, minutes at the end i know they're playing starters minutes at the end of the day they're logging 30 plus minutes but still a big deal i think though it is a big deal and, and i think it's a testament to those guys and who they are and they how they embraced coming off the bench and allowing those other guys um to sort of feel feel valued and a part of it as well the, the guys that are starting for us now and i think it's, it's just a testament to those guys embracing it um, buying into it, being a good teammate, and uh, you know, allowing us as a coaching staff um, to be able to manage, you know, personalities, um, you know, on our team. And you know, it's not easy. Um, you know, that's a big part of it. But you know, those three guys, and clearly, you know, they're our most talented players. And but for them to be able to embrace that um, and, and still be a good teammate. Um, still work hard every single day, still compete. Um, it, it, you know, it's a testament to who they are. And I think those guys are really focused on winning. And, and I, I think that's the key piece. doesn't matter if I start, come off the bench. I just want to impact winning and contribute to winning. And those guys have bought into it. Um, and it's made us better. Uh, it, it made us a lot better. And, um, you know, we, we truly appreciate those guys sacrificing, um, you know, the way they are. And even just in particular, I mean, Caleb Battle, it's no secret that he, he's he's a really emotional guy. He's had his emotional up and downs on the court, off the court. Last, you know, last Saturday at UCF in a game that you guys needed, your second straight overtime game, again, off the bench, 35 minutes, he, he gives you guys a game-high 26 points, but just as important, 9 of 9 from the line. And again, I know he's been up and down this season, but is he starting to really get it and really starting to embrace his role? Again, he knows he's going to be, assuming, you know, playing a, a ton of minutes, but I mean, a really big performance from him, not just, you know, not just, just shooting the ball, but at the line and, and rebounding the ball, too. Yeah, he was efficient. And the one thing I will say is he has really embraced the the defensive side of it. I think he's improved tremendously defensively. Um, and the offense is going to come. I mean, we, we told him that. We need K to score the ball. And he's a terrific, terrific talent. And he was efficient against UCF as well, shooting the ball. I think he shot 50% from the field um, in that game. And like you said, nine for nine from the free throw line. So we, 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 we've been struggling as a whole offensively. Um, not not as sure why, because we do have guys that can make shots. And we've been getting good shots, you know, the last four or five games. It's not like we, we have been getting bad, you know, bad looks. We've been getting good shots. Um, so we we tell our guys, you know, shots will fall. Don't worry about the offensive end. That'll take care of itself. But we got to defend. We got to rebound. Um, you know, we got to play with great energy. We got to play with, you know, with that temple toughness. And the offense will come. So hopefully we continue to get better offensively and we start to make a little more shots here, you know, down the stretch of uh, conference play. It hasn't even been two weeks, but again, here comes Houston again. Now they've got one more game. They got to play at Wichita State Thursday night before they come here to North Philly on Sunday for the big game. But I mean, not much changed. You know, Sasser's still good. Shed's good. Jarris Walker, uh, a really talented freshman forward. You got Roberts. They're so good. They're so balanced. You guys were so good against them defensively. Um, and again, it's kind of like pick your poison because they can hurt you in the backcourt and the frontcourt. But you guys have had so much success and really keying in 
on that that really good backcourt player and, and you guys made things tough for Marcus Sasser is that still not that you forget about the guys in the front court, obviously but is the plan still to just make life as, as tough as possible for him and then you just try to manage the other pieces of it yeah, they're, they're, you said it best, John. They're really well balanced. I mean, when you, you know, when you try to take away, you know, one guy, then, you know, another guy beats you. And uh, they have several guys that can beat you. I think for us, um, the thing that, you know, we always talk about is, you know, we have to rebound the ball well. And that's against everybody, but especially against Houston, because that's how they beat you. They beat you inside. Um, and you have to defend the three, right? Because they have guys that can really shoot the ball. Obviously, Sasser, uh, Sharp, um, Jarris Walker can make them. Um, so we have to defend the three, and we have to limit their second-chance opportunities. But, you know, I think our guys are really, you know, up for the challenge, um, you know, against those guys. And we know what we're fighting for. We, we know what we're playing for. Um, you know, it's a chance for us to remain at the top of the conference, to be in first place. And, you know, you, you, have, to, you have to make it tough for them because you know it's going to be a 40-minute battle. They're not going to quit. Um, they have, you know, championship, you know, DNA over there. Um, and we, we know it's going to be a full, full, full 40-minute hard fart tough game and uh you know we have to you know play our best when our best is required so we understand the assignment and what we have to do how do you guys get get zach going he's had his ups and downs and you know probably your best pure shooter uh, i know he's got to maybe learn a little bit better to put the ball on the floor and do some other things and, he, and to his credit he does rebound when a shot isn't falling but you know if he can really get going then you guys are obviously even much more dangerous and he's hit a couple of timely threes but he he struggled again on on saturday is it just a matter of him just having some tough luck or could he be could you guys be getting him better looks could he be looking for better looks how do you get him going yeah i, I think as a coach you know we we, we always try to find uh or create opportunities to get our guys you know better looks or get our guys in space so that's that's been you know something that we've talked about to try to help Zach to get him uh, more quality shots um, I also think that he's starting and because he's such a good player that teams are you know are, are you know preparing against him to stop him especially in that starting lineup um, you know I think teams are saying all right we're going to run him off the line um, you know, we're going to, you know, pressure him and make him put that ball on the floor. And I think that Zach is capable um, of making plays with the ball. He's just got to get a little more comfortable. Uh, and, you know, he's got to move a little more uh, off the ball. But, I mean, he, Zach, Zach's doing a terrific job for us um, in that starting lineup. I mean, he's playing a lot of minutes. And uh, for a sophomore, him and Hasir, um, and, I mean, Jalil as well. He's a redshirt junior, but it's the second year playing. Those guys are, are doing a fantastic job of just buying into their roles, buying into what Coach McKee is telling them to do. And, and Zach has improved defensively. You know, so I think that that's it's a balance, too. I think he's, he's playing hard defensively. He's rebounding the ball, like you said. He's guarding guys. Um, you know, we, we do switching a lot, so he's switching one through four. So I think sometimes that takes a little bit away from the offensive end um, for him. So he has to learn how to how to balance. He has to continue to learn how to get shots, how to hunt shots on the offensive end. And, you know, he's learning and he's growing and he'll, he'll, he'll be better for that. But hopefully he could, you know, he gets hot here, you know, down the stretch, you know, in our last 
what eight we got eight conference games left so yeah. um, hopefully he can make you know make some shots here and, and I know he will he, he works at it he works at it a lot so he'll 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 make some shots here the next couple games Chris, I know you're out on the road right now. I mean, you can't talk on the record about you know who you're looking at or who you're recruiting, but just a general question for you. When you guys start to turn it around and then you obviously you, you, you beat Houston, you beat the number one team on the road and you get that national recognition, what type of, you know, what kind of shot in the arm does that give you guys? And then when you're out on the road recruiting, what, what kind of reception do you get after a game like that? Oh, it's awesome, man. It's an awesome, you know, walking to it, walking into a gym and, you know, obviously, you know, it's on, you know, Sports Center and social media, all the social media platforms, you know, Temple beat the number one team. So, you know, it, 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 it gives, you know, you know, the kids, you know, an opportunity to see, oh, wow, that's the assistant coach from Temple walking into the gym. They just beat Houston. So, you know, obviously it, it keeps us relevant. It keeps us, um, you know, viral, as the kids like to say. So, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we're excited about it, but, you know, we still have a long way to go with just one game. But it definitely helps with recruiting. The more you win, the more exposure you get, um, you know, the more opportunities, you know, kids are able to see you on social media and on ESPN. So all that stuff is really cool. You know, it, it, it helps with recruiting, um, you know, but at the end of the day, we know, you know, we got a long way to go and, you know, there's a lot more room to grow um, with this team. And uh, hopefully we can continue to get better and uh, win some games down the stretch. Chris, one last one for you. I mean, I wanted to ask you about a couple guys that you see every day in practice that you'll need next year, and I'm assuming they're going to be you know, redshirting for you. Taj Tweet, the, the West Virginia transfer uh, from Wildwood Catholic, and then Deuce Roberts. Um, guys that you'll, I'm, I'm sure you'll need to lean on next year, depending on on how things go with with roster movement. What have you seen from those guys in in practice? I would imagine that maybe Taj needs a year to kind of just reset himself, and then Deuce, a guy that that you kind of had a lead on at, at late in the game there, and but you guys are, are high on both these guys. What have you seen from them in practice this year, even though they're not out on the floor playing on uh, on game days? Well, Taj is like the man. He he's an energy guy. He plays extremely hard. Always flying around, always talking. We got to tell him to shut up half the time because he's always, you know, talking trash and, you know, getting in guys' faces and bringing just great energy. And I think, you know, our fans are going to love watching him play because of the type of energy and effort um, and athleticism that he brings um, to the floor. Um, and, and just a guy that's willing to do the dirty work. And um, um, that's something that, you know, we're going to need, you know, moving forward. And, and Deuce is um, obviously he, he's going to be a combo combo guard for us. Can really, the thing that he's doing really well in practice over the last few months is being able to get penetration, being able to get downhill, get into the paint, um, got to work on his shot a little bit. Um, but he's a guy that can, you know, break the paint and get in there and make plays. Um, so he's a guy that, you know, hopefully we can, you know, put the ball in his hands to be able to, you know, make a play for himself or for his teammates. Uh, but those two guys, um, you know, bring great energy every day in practice. They push the, you know, that starting group. They make them better. And, um, you know, they have to continue to get better. So hopefully they'll be able to, you know, contribute um, at some point next year. Right, so big thanks to Chris for spending time with us, and we'll, we'll look to catch up with uh, with Chris and, and and Jimmy Fennerty as we do, you know, a couple times throughout the season. They always give us a good scan of the roster, but 
you know, he, if anything, I think seems pretty self-aware at the beginning of our conversation, you know, he said, you know, guys are starting to adjust. And I think he caught himself right after that. I said, look, I mean, no excuses for the loss that we've had, you know, and he didn't say it this way, but yeah, there's, there's no excuse for losing to Wagner, no excuse for losing to Maryland Eastern Shore, no excuse for losing to Penn. If you win those, those three games alone, not even counting Vanderbilt, not even counting, you know, Ole Miss, who knows where they'd be right now, but we know they'd be in a much better situation. I, I Before we move on to the basketball mailbag here, I know it sounds kind of bland and basic, but is this just quite simply for all the up and down basketball that we have seen and all the maddening fits and starts and all the head scratching, how the hell did they lose that game or how did they turn the ball over that many times type of those types of moments? Is it kind of as simple as that, that they are really just starting to figure each other out now that that Dame and KB are starting to learn, you know, as Dame said, like when each other is hot, like when to feed them the ball, when to get the ball down to Jamil, like when, you know, just when to feed off of each other. Is it kind of what Chris is saying, that they are finally starting to hit their stride again in an ideal world that would have done a hell of a lot sooner and not had some of these bad losses? But is it as simple as that? Devon taking his head no. <laughs> I'm going to translate some basketball language to you. No, these guys understand they screwed up severely in yeah. the early part of the season, mm-hmm. and they have zero room for error. They mm-hmm. know they've got a lot riding on this, including yeah. careers after Temple, if they can't get it right. That's all this is. This is, oh, man, we messed up. Mm-hmm. Now they're on their best behavior and mm-hmm. playing their cleanest basketball that they can. It's nothing about them hitting their stride and all that. This team was capable of doing this all season long. This is a group of guys who are now understanding that they just simply cannot lose. Earlier in the season, they were a team that thought they couldn't be beat. Now they're a team that realizes they cannot lose. Big difference. They should. Shouldn't these guys have, and I would imagine that they do, shouldn't they have like a healthy amount of like – like they should be kind of ticked off right now, right? Like when they see what they're capable of, when yeah. they see that they were able to go to Houston to the the number one team in the country on the road and beat Houston without one of their most talented players, they're the one of the best post players this program's had in maybe 10 years. They should be kind of ticked off, right? And say, like, look at where we would if we had just gotten our act together soon, look at where we'd be now. I mean, just shouldn't they have a healthy dose of like ticked offness about them right now? Is hey, that I, getting it with? I, I promise you that's eating them alive, which makes what they're doing more impressive because a lot of teams would just cave it in right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and guys would just give up, like, oh man, look at this. We could have been we could have been doing this. Well, we're not going anywhere now. The hell with it. I'm sitting out, I'm hitting the portal, or I'm just going to start playing nonchalantly and these guys are stayed locked in and have not had that train of thought. So um, no, all of that is going on through their minds, but that's what makes it more impressive that they're being able to play the type of ball that they are right now. Hey, what's your read on it? Similar, different? Yeah. I think in a sense, kind of going off Javon where they realize they have to win all these games. It doesn't matter whether it's Houston, Tulsa, Wichita state, you don't have any room for error. And I think they've, They've started to figure it out, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, I, I was a little confused by the decision to put Damian Dunn and Caleb Bad off the bench, but it, it looks like it's working for Aaron McKee, so I think that was the right decision. And I think, you know, over you know the last few weeks, they've gotten more production out of guys that weren't producing early in the year. Like, 
Um, Kirk John Cooch, although, you know, he's not a high-end player, but he's done his job. He's filled out his role. He's gotten some rebounds, some blocks. He's got a block in that last Houston game. Nick Jardine as well. So I think they're getting contributions out of guys that were you know, weren't being as successful or weren't playing as good during non-conference play. But at the same sense, you know, you look back at it, you know, you, you can continue to play good in conference play, but uh, you look back in that non-conference, it just makes it even more of a nightmare because if you just win one or two of those games, I think the conversation is a lot different right now. So, yeah. I mean, they're doing it now, but it could be a little too late depending on, you know, how the rest of the season plays out. Right, so that's a, that's a really nice transition on Caden's part into the mailbag here when he's talking about the starting roles or bench roles for Damian Dunn and Caliph Battle. We're going to close out the the mailbag and football portion of the podcast here with Caden. Javon had to had to dip out earlier. So the first basketball mailbag question here, again, these come from House Scoop subscribers. This is the screen name of one of our subscribers. What, what to you? Two-part question here. Number one, do you think this would be a wise game for Aaron McKee to start Damian Dunn and or Caliph Battle or stick with the starting lineup he's gone with over the last month or so? Uh, Kate, I know what my I know what my answer is. I want to hear what you think. I think if it's not, you know, failing, why get rid of it? I think at yep. this point it's proven that it works. And look, from, I guess, a talent perspective, I really don't understand why it's working because those first two or three minutes of the game, you don't have a lot of scoring out there. But, I mean, Aaron's talked about it before where that's really kind of how he wants to start his games by establishing that defensive identity. And, hey, last game, I know, you know, things for this game have changed with Jameel Reynolds back. But last game, they won that game by playing good defense. It was low scoring. And it seems to really just kind of fit their style. So if I'm Aaron McKee, I'm keeping what's working. And right now, they've won the majority of their conference games with this lineup. And got to give them, you know, all the credit in the world right now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I know it's a huge cliche, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, I think that the the confidence that's been instilled in guys like Nick Jordan and, and Core John Cooch, I mean, again, like they don't win that game. There are a lot of reasons why they won that game last weekend or, or, or two weekends ago, but they don't win that game without core with that huge weak side block and Nick with the follow-up block. Uh, I, I do not think Aaron's going to do anything differently. Like maybe you could see him start Jamil, but I don't, I, I think that Damian Dunn and Caleb Battle will continue to come off the bench. Now watch, they'll do something completely different, but I, I don't, think they're going to change that. And and we all know too, that Damian Dunn and Caleb battle end up playing starters minutes. Anyway, they always play 30, 35 plus minutes, but I, I think that he'll continue to, he'll continue to go with what worked. And I think the one thing you just want to change down the stretch is maybe just keep your foot on the gas. If they are, they find themselves up five, up seven in the last like five minutes, six minutes and change instead of holding the ball. You know, keep going. I think that might be the only thing that changes, but I agree. I think I I don't think it would be a wise game for him to tinker with the starting lineup. I agree with you. All right. Now the, the second part of what what to use mailbag question here. For as much blame as Aaron McKee has gotten for the bad losses before conference play, how much credit does McKee deserve for the solid turnaround in conference play? I mean, I think kind of going on, it's kind of some of the last question in the sense where I think he deserves a lot of the credit because I mean, I think he deserves some of the blame, you know, for especially during that non-conference play where Temple didn't seem prepared, especially against games against Wagner and Maryland Eastern Shore and Penn. But at the same time, it might have been a little too late in the season, like I guess 13 games in until he realized, you know, that lineup wasn't working, but he made a change that's got this team to play better. And you probably wanted him to do that earlier in the year, but 
he did what he needed to do to get this team competitive in conference play. And Kyle talked about before in the scoop where those non-conference games, although I still think you won to win those games, they really don't hold much weight right now. Those teams are all pretty bad. Villanova's pretty bad right now. None of those wins really stand out. Maybe, I guess, Rutgers is a decent win. But at this point, it's a new chapter of the season, and he's done what matters You know, right now. He's got this team playing hot, got this team playing really good going into the conference tournament in a couple of weeks that they can continue to build on wins. They might end up, you know, making some noise. So I think Aaron McCree, Aaron McKee, you know, he deserves credit for what he did. Yeah, I think he does deserves a ton of credit. I, I, Aaron knows the game of basketball, and I do think he's a very, very solid coach. I, I get it. Of course, if you're going to lose to Wagner, you're going to lose to to Maryland Eastern Shore. If you're going to lose the way they lost to Richmond, if you're going to lose to Vanderbilt, the, the they were again, like Chris just said earlier in the in the podcast here. They're going to be scrutinized for losing those games, no question. But uh, I give Aaron a ton of credit, and I give the staff a ton of credit. Th- this season could have gone even farther south than it was headed, and they have turned things around. What that turnaround ultimately ends up at, we don't know. Does it end up in an NCAA tournament berth? Does it end up in a uh, just falling short of the NCAA tournament in the NIT? We'll find out. But I think they deserve a ton of credit. If you uh, you heard a segment of our conversation with Shiz Alston in last week's podcast, again, lscoop.com subscribers will get access to, uh, you know, you didn't need a subscription to get the first part of the full, for, uh, the full first part of the interview. But in the second part, you need a subscription to listen to that. If you haven't checked it out, you should. A lot of great stuff from Shiz. He talks about what might have been had Jalen Brunson and, and uh, had Jalen Brunson ended up at Temple, had Trey Lowe. Been healthy, of course, Trey uh, just had the really, really unfortunate circumstance where he ended up in a car accident, couldn't play college basketball again, and he's on Fran Dunphy's staff now at LaSalle. But one of the things that Shiz said, and he was right, like, how many coaches in America are bringing their two best players off the bench and succeeding with it? You know, Aaron has found something that's worked, and if if he ends up adjusting, he'll adjust, but give him a lot of credit. Uh, Give him a lot of credit for the adjustments they've made, for the turnaround they've made. Again, we'll see where it ends up, but yeah, sure. I think that that's that's why in this business, it sounds like a bland and boring answer when we talk to people sometimes, when we say things are fluid and people want knee-jerk reactions out of us. Yeah, when they're playing poorly, we're going to tell you that they're playing poorly, but we got to give credit where credit's due. I think Aaron and the staff deserve a ton of credit for the turnaround. We'll see what happens Sunday, of course. Uh, turning our attention to football, a couple of updates here, and then we've got a couple of mailbag football mailbag questions to close things out. So There was no media availability yesterday on the first day of uh, the February National Signing Day. Uh, The team did officially announce the additions of seven players, including, of course, the the Florida transfers to Juan Black and Kamar Wilcox. And we've talked to you about those guys already. A couple of big additions there. Uh, Reggie Jones from the College of the Canyons, defensive lineman. Landon Jones, the, the transfer tight end from Utah, who first talked to Kyle for a story we ran last week. If you have an OutScoop subscription, definitely check that out. Uh, is a guy who probably is going to have to sit out this year. We'll see how things go because it is his third stop. Uh, Reggie Jones, the defensive lineman from College of the Canyons, mentioned him. And then uh, uh, Chris Van Eckeren, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, kicker from Purdue. They are bringing him in on scholarship. Um, and they also announced a, a couple of preferred walk-ons. Hugo Gill, defensive lineman from Cheshire Academy in Connecticut. He's got some good size to him, 6'2", over 300 pounds. Um I guess Brylon Noonan, uh, the long snapper from Wagner, they're coming in as, uh, again, they're coming in as preferred walk-ons. Um, and uh, I guess it's, no, I'm sorry, excuse me. It's uh, it's Gil, Noonan, and Jones uh, are coming in 
as preferred walk-ons. So um, Van Erken's on scholarship. So, um, but I, I thought it was kind of interesting that they announced them, even even though they were PWOs, are announcing them as additions. So, and not too far, uh, I guess, month and a half away from from spring football. So we got stuff coming up. And as we've been saying in past episodes, the roster movement is probably not done. It's not going to be done even after spring ball. So those were the additions this week. And then another uh, addition that the Temple has not made official, but Football Scoop was the first to report it, that Stan Drayton is going to hire Jamel Monk, uh, Jamel Matunga as his running backs coach. Uh, so we know there was movement there. And uh, with uh, uh, with Preston Brown moving on, uh, Jamel was with the Colts this past season as an inaugural Tony Dungy diversity coaching fellow. Uh, he's been at Rutgers before that, Princeton and Lehigh. He was a really good running back at Gettysburg at the D3 level and got his, uh, got his coaching career started at Muhlenberg. He's also worked in the Bill Walsh Minority Coaching Fellowship Program and uh, spent time in the past with the Falcons and the Jets. He's, I mean, generally considered to be a, a rising star in the coaching profession. So, um, yeah, there's been a lot of movement at that position in the offseason, but looks like a pretty good hire there. So um, maybe we'll get a chance to to speak to him at some point in the future once his uh, uh, once his hire is made uh, official. And again, spring ball is just around the corner. So. And we'll continue to have some more recruiting coverage uh, for you as well. Some offers go, have gone out to several 2024 players. So stay locked into the site for that. Got a couple of football mailbag questions, like I said, to, to close things out here. First one from the screen name of Mike TB31, one of our loyal subscribers. His question, more likely to happen in the next 15 years. Temple gets into the new college football playoffs or makes an elite eight run in the NCAAs. Caden, what do you think? That's such a tough question. I think if you think about the current states of the program, although Temple basketball has been playing better down the stretch, more than likely they're probably going to lose Caleb Battle. Maybe they end up losing Damian Dunn. Those two guys, probably the most likely guys to leave the program if they do leave. And then you have a lot of unknowns on this roster moving forward. We don't know much about the current recruits. And then you look at the football program, all, you know, Finished three and nine back to back seasons, even though three and nine this year is probably different than the three and nine with Rod Carey. Yeah. But both programs really haven't gotten to the point where I feel confident with either answer. But I'll go with basketball just because anything can happen. You know, once you make once you make March Madness, we've seen teams year in, year out, they're 10, 11 seeds, make the sweet 16, make the elite eight. And I think it's more likely that that could happen with Temple basketball in the future versus football, where you're in a conference where I think the American Athletic Conference is getting worse. You know, you're losing Cincinnati, you're losing Houston, you're losing all these different programs. I think your strength of schedule is not going to look as good anymore. And I think even for Temple, unless I just can't see Temple being a top, you know, was it is it eight teams now in the college football playoff? Or is well, it's it, eventually going to expand beyond that. So I think the, the easier answer is it's going to be for you, you win a conference championship and you're going to be able to get in in the future, especially in the next 15 years. So I think the I think the easier answer might be for for football. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I think there's a better pathway there to get to the elite eight is really, really. I mean, for some programs, it's been easier, but it's it's really Mm -hmm. I'm not bringing any news when I say this. It's really, really hard to win in the NCAA tournament. There are so many examples you can point to. Talk to Fran Dunphy about I was talking to Shiz about this last week. Dunph had some really good teams and they just had some. Bad luck. You know, I think we're talking about Fran Dunphy's legacy a little differently 
had they beaten Indiana, you know, they scheme up plays and a guy like Scooty Randall just can't hit a shot. Uh, they lost in in overtime to San Diego State against a Kawhi Leonard team that was really good. And they they almost beat them without two injured starters. It's one game. You're in and out. We know that. I think it's really hard to get to an Elite Eight. Uh, it's just hard sometimes to get to that that second weekend. And I think it's with the field expanding. I, I think it's more likely that we'll see Temple get into the new college football playoff. Now, if it's you're talking about getting into the semifinals or like a national championship game, then I'm going hoops there. Cause you can see the disparity, you know, how quickly, you know, TCU plays really, really well against Michigan. And then they just get just wiped off the, off the field uh, against Georgia. But to get in, I think it's more likely for, for football, but an interesting question to ponder nonetheless. And then to close things out here uh, from a question from the screen name, TJ Clark, Again, football related here, speculating on future performance. Was the transfer portal a net positive or a net negative for the football team this year? Um, I think in a sense it's a net positive because I picked up, you know, yep. a good amount of players. You mentioned Kamar Wilcoxon and Dewan Black, who could, you know, potentially be long-term pieces on this defense. The only real player that you ended up losing in that transfer portal that's going to hurt is Darian Varner. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had a really good year. He was a first-team all-conference selection for a reason. You probably hoped you could keep him in that room for at least another year. Mm -hmm. He's a guy that if he keeps building on it and he goes to Wisconsin, might be a guy who's an NFL-level player eventually. I mean, he is a little undersized, but he certainly fit Temple's system, and he was productive. And him and Leighton Jordan next to each other caused a lot of havoc for offensive lines for you know certain games, you know, especially during conference play this year. But at the same sense, most of the rest of the guys you lost, like Kobe Wilson's of the world's, are easily replaceable. And I think you add some players, you know, through the transfer portal, like I like I said, in Kamar Wilcox, Wilcox and that you can develop. You're going to need another corner to develop outside of Jalen McMurray. And same with Dewan Black. And then you added a guy like EJ Wilson from Florida International signing on signing day, but he's a transfer coming in uh, from FIU. And although he's not super, you know, doesn't have a crazy like resume on him yet. That's another running back that you need in that room. So I think they did a good job in the transfer portal to add some players and don't think they had too many losses other than one, you know, really good player that they're going to have to find a way you know, to fill his need. Yeah, I agree. I think it was in that positive for them. And I think, you know, as Kyle's pointed out a few times, it was going to be interesting to keep an eye on things in mid January, you know, earlier uh, I have to check the calendar. It's February 2nd now. So earlier in January, I was going to say earlier this month, when that spring semester starts up, you keep an eye on how many guys are going to announce because they want to keep their scholarship for the rest of the year, finish out this academic year at Temple. Yeah, I agree with you. Varner's a loss. And, you know, from the outside looking in, you're thinking, OK, who's going to hit the portal in January? Who's going to announce when that second semester starts? I think that Trey Blair what wasn't a surprise. I think he's a terrific kid. Uh, Wish him well. Like I said, I'm a little biased. I, I spent a lot of time with him on signing day a couple of years ago. I live right down the street from Havertown, uh, from Haverford High School, excuse me, in Havertown. And uh, I think he's a really smart kid, a terrific kid, and will probably do well somewhere else. Just couldn't really, just couldn't really turn the corner in a in a, in a running back battle that was really open there. Uh, Varner's a loss. Um, yeah, I, I think that you know Kobe Kobe Wilson again. People were really intrigued when he joined the program a couple of years ago because he had a late offer from Georgia. But I think it's pretty clear that DJ Elliott prefers some some taller, longer, more athletic corners. I mean, I think Kobe could end up doing really well uh, wherever he ends up. But again, and we'll see how things go after spring ball. But as of now, 
Yeah. I mean, I think if, if, especially a guy like Kamar Wilcox and who can play safety gives you a lot of versatility back there was a high level recruit. Same thing with Dewan Black and Dewan Black's got to come and improve himself. And uh, like I said, Landon Jones, a guy that that's not going to, probably not going to play this year, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's in that positive form right now. Again, we'll keep an eye on things after, after spring ball. Again, there always could be some late roster movement there, but I think they kind of, as of now, really weathered the storm when they could have had some uh, some additional guys, you know, plucked from uh, from the roster. And as of now, that's a that's a tribute to Stan Drayton and his staff. Uh, again, they were three and nine, but there's some some talent on this roster. I know the fan base kind of, as of now, is breathing a collective sigh of relief because now, in, in, if any player is good, you know, I mean, how much anxiety was there? Like, oh my God, is is some other program going to come along and pluck EJ Warner? Uh, are they going to take this guy? Or are they going to take that guy? But so far, uh, I think it's very clearly net uh, positive for the program. So uh, big thank you to all of you for asking mailbag questions this week. Thanks to Chris Clark uh, for making time for an interview earlier this week that we had the pleasure of enjoying. Uh, we will talk to you guys next week after uh, after this big Temple Houston game, and we'll see, uh, see where the owls are next week. So thanks again for tuning in. Talk to you soon. <laughs>